We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is film analyst and football writer Jake Burns. He's a QB enthusiast, and he's a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Shout out to him. Shout out for the time that he gave us on this one where we chop it up and we talk about the AFC North to conclude our division previews, storylines, additions, subtractions, X-factors, tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh my! Jake is a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan and (laughs) it's been rough for the boy. It's been rough. But you know what? I shouldn't be talking much because I'm a Giants fan and uh, it's kind of been rough for the last couple of years. So we come on and we talk about the Ravens, the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers, Big Ben returning. It's Pittsburgh being disrespected. I'm a little higher on Cleveland than I was last year. So, shouts to Jake again, man. And if you guys are down with some film breakdown, he does the film branch, film room branch of Orange and Brown Report, covers the Cleveland Browns. So, once again, shout out to Jake the Snake Burns. I don't know if his middle name is snake or if his nickname is snake but you know as a wrestling fan jake the snake roberts anyone whose name is jake i kind of just throw snake in between there brother so enough about me subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it hit us with a download hit us with a follow i veterans minimum show some love to jake big ups to the members of our patreon Derek pleates Corey johnson hoops nick chavez 
Flying Ryan Pisner, my guy Piz, and Christopher Velasquez. Thank you all to the monthly contributions to the Patreon. And staying with the Patreon, guys, our August contest giveaway for all members of the Patreon in the $10 tier or higher. We're giving away a copy of Madden 21, whether it's for PlayStation, whether it's for Xbox, whether it's for PC, whatever crazy shit you want to play on. Just holler at us. Join the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash veterans minimum and see some of the extra content that we have pumping out over there. And yeah, enough about me. Let's get into the episode. what's good everybody welcome back to veterans minimum today i have a special guest who just from talking to this individual before we started recording i could tell he's had some heartaches when it comes to rooting for certain football teams but my guy jake burns jake thanks for joining me man i appreciate your time what's up brother no no not much man i appreciate you having me on you uh you summarize my entire football professional football viewing career man what's it i will say this my dude it is it is not it is not heartbreak because we haven't been close enough to even have our heart broken. It is like a shallow perception of what professional football is. So we're excited though. We're excited about a team that's full of talent, which I know we're gonna talk about. So there's optimism, which is good. Um, you know, granted we get to play this season and all that stuff pans out as we're hoping, but uh um, you know, we're optimistic despite despite years and years and years of losing. Well, I don't know if I've told you this or if you know my Team I root for isn't exactly doing so hot as of late either, the New York Giants. So <laughs> I really shouldn't be laughing much. Well, listen, man, we're we're kind of uh, connected through through a couple different players that everybody cares about. We obviously loved Kevin Zeitler, and mm-hmm. I know you guys loved and cherished Odell Beckham and, and all that stuff. And you took Jabril and, and a whole bunch of different things going back and forth there, the Giants and the Browns. And, and uh, look, I'm hoping both teams figure it out. That'd be great for the long haul because those are two – story franchises that, that, that the NFL needs to get right. The craziest thing, it, it was sort of hit me out of nowhere, Jake. One time I was just doing some like NFL research. I think it was prior to last season. And I remember telling a buddy of mine, I was like, dude, the Giants have been a mess for a while. And I felt like that year they went 11 and five in 2016, where they kind of just like backed the truck up on all these free agents, Jenkins, Vernon now who, you know, you mentioned he was with the Browns as well and, and like snacks. The Giants have been really bad for a long time. And I don't know if you know this or, or if you've stumbled across this. Since 2017, no team has won less games than the New York Giants. And that fact is in an 0-16 season that you sat through. It's actually pretty astounding. I, I probably would not have guessed that. I would not have guessed that. Um I think I will say this, and this is with all due respect, our level of terrible franchises are completely different, my friend. So uh, <laughs> I know I know stuff lately has been. It's it's, it's like when uh, Lakers fans try to post recently, like all the all the terrible lineups they had over the last five years, and it's like, man, we've had like two winning seasons in the past twenty. So it's just 
it's you never you never want to bring anybody else down to your level, especially when your franchise has been so bad for so long. It's like that's the thing that's amazing too is you know going into last year there's a lot of optimism, obviously, and it and it went off the rails. But you know people try to poke fun at Browns fans, and it's like I don't understand how you could do that. Like the, the, if you could if you could support a team, you know I came in I was born in '89. Obviously they left '94, come back in '99. I'm 10 years old. The, the only Cleveland Browns existence that I really know is terrible, futile. They had one playoff team, 2000, 2003, uh, when they went to the playoffs, 2002 team, the 2003 run there um, with no notable players that anybody would even know. That was back when Butch Davis was coaching this team. Back the old, if you remember the old early dominant Miami Hurricane squads, he was the coach that jumped to the NFL and they had a nice year, bottomed out. 2007, my senior year of high school, they had a 10-6 and six season that they lost to Cincinnati at home. Uh, week 16 that ended up costing them a shot in the playoffs. So they went 10 and six. We felt great. Didn't even make the playoffs, sold the farm the next year. Didn't, didn't have any return for all the things that they sold off. They uh, end up uh, going like six and 10 or something stupid. And it's been, since then it's been, it's been futile. The only flash of, of any sort of positivity, they started seven and four uh, during the 2000, 14 season. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. Started seven and four, then lost their last five. Went seven and nine, um, and that's the last sliver of hope we've had, my man. Since 2015, it's been it's been utterly terrible. They went through a 2015 season. Petten got Mike Petten got fired. Hugh Jackson comes in. That story's been pretty nationally written about his ineptitude, and here we are. You know, they went through Freddie last year. It was in way over his head. Um, and I know Freddie's joined as a position coach there in New York, which mm-hmm. that's what Freddie's best at is being a position coach. It's not a knock on a man. Like it's not all dudes are wired to be head coaches. It comes with oh, another God. level of, you know, yes. it comes with another level of cognitive ability and not just getting players to believe in you, but getting your, your coaching staff to believe in you. And that just, you know, for being up close and asking Freddie questions and being near him just wasn't going to work out. So yeah, dude, we've been moral of the story is, there's been like three net positive seasons that if you even look at the positive of them, they lost, I mentioned the year they went to the playoffs, they lost up 17 points in Pittsburgh in 03 and lost, ended up losing that game late. So they've only been to the wild card. So listen, it's the most talented, I mean, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to talk about it, most talented team the Browns have had possibly since 1999, just in terms of tier, like sheer player for player talent. It's uh, it's, it's in a really good spot. And, and we'll talk about the GM and head coach that they have in place now too. But yeah, it's just, it's uh you know, before game start and before all that stuff that tends to bring Browns fans back down to earth a little bit, it's it's a lot of good feelings in Cleveland right now. As as there there, there should be good feelings, and I love what you said, dude, because I've been I've been screaming at that for years about how, man, not everyone could be Batman. Some people are just better suited being Robin, and mm-hmm. uh, I think there's nothing wrong. Like, you know, call me a homer, but I, I love the idea of Jason Garrett as an offensive coordinator. I think the yeah. offense isn't the issue with him. Like you look at those DVOA and football outsider statistics, Dallas has been in the top five in a lot of those statistical categories that matter. And it's never been the offense. It's like what you said. Can he motivate guys? Do people tone him out? Like I was, I know coming into this time last year, everyone, we have this phrase on, on the show, the boner team. Like everyone just has a hard on for a certain team. And mm-hmm. It was everyone was loving Cleveland. And, you know, how could you not, right? The year before, Baker comes in and, shit, the jersey of the quarterbacks in Cleveland is like an iconic photo that gets updated all the time. So 
and you, my friend, have sat through all that. So I, I commend you for, for your loyalty. It's, it's tough, dude. It's, it's tough on, you know, I, I've obviously been a fan my entire life, but I started writing on them in like 20, early 2017 and it kind of took off because I do a lot of film breakdown stuff. So I, I, having played and coached and all that stuff, I, I, I spent a majority of my time doing that. And it really took off. Like people were very interested in the X and O's and why things were the way they were instead of just looking at, you know, the result they wanted to know about the process. And it's, it's done really well. And it's carved out a nice niche at the Orange and Brown Report where I write and uh, people, people really enjoy it. But, you know, deep down, man, I cover these guys. I try to stay as objective as possible, um, but it's, it's tough. You know, I'm a fan at heart, and I want to see them win. I want to see them do well, and they weren't ready last year, and, uh, and it was pretty obvious from the start. Hopefully they have learned. I think they brought in the right individuals to lead this thing. You can, everybody says that, right? Everyone says it when you mm-hmm. hire somebody. You very rarely are like, man, this guy's going to fail, just because what good does that do you as a human? But it's like I, I, I genuinely think they have a nice connection. You know, so long – the Browns have had a, a, a structure between their GM, head coach, owner, Jimmy Haslam's the owner, who it's been multiple different people reporting to him. It's caused a bunch of friction between those making personnel decisions and those calling plays and those those being the head coach of the team. It blew up when, when over multiple different regimes it's blown up in Jimmy Haslam's face. But for the first time in what feels like his entire tenure, you have an actual structure of a competent GM and young Andrew Barry who seems to be Really, really sharp. He spent time with front offices in Indianapolis. He spent time uh, as a scout with Indy, I should say. Moved his way up, moved his way into, um, you know, working with the, the Browns where he was he was high up in the scouting department and then player personnel. Then went to the Eagles, and obviously the Eagles know what the hell they're doing in terms of player personnel and decision-makings and analytically driven front offices. And uh, he gets his shot back in Cleveland. He's an Ivy League guy. The head coach, Kevin Stefanski, is an Ivy League guy. They, they have a lot of um, – you know, guys like that sometimes can come with an I'm, I'm the right guy. I, everyone listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Just everyone shut up. I'm driving the bus type attitude. But they're very collaborative guys, very down to earth, very humble, um, willing to take criticism, willing to take other people's opinions. Uh, everything I've gathered and, you know, all we can gather right now, my man, is Zoom calls and press conferences. That's all we can really do. But they really seem like a group that's, that's, that's hand in hand on this whole process. And, and really they're free agency and their draft and how they have approached everything from salary cap spending with Miles Garrett's extension and a couple other deals. Uh, it's, 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 it's really all positive right now. Maybe they get on the field, things fall apart. But as of now, as we sit here and record this, it's, it's really the most optimistic a Browns fan should be. And those covering them should be for, for a long time. And, and that's exciting, man. You're a lot more mature than I am because I know some guys are going to not work when it comes to becoming a head coach almost immediately as their name is being rumored. Like I was so off Pat Shermer being the head coach dude uh-huh. for the Giants. <laughs> and I know he was a head coach for you guys too, but <clears throat> that's a prime example of a guy that I think is a sensational offensive coordinator and he's yeah. shown it like his resume as an OC is, is great, right? He was with Case Keaton. He made Case Keaton a, a, a thing, you know, yeah. with Minnesota. So, uh, again, I commend you for that because uh, I'm a little bit on, you know, like I, I, I kind of like the unknown more than the known. And there's yeah. certain guys where you just know, right? Like, again, maybe I could have probably told you about Pat Shermer. I mean, you know, that, that there's some that you there's some that you've seen. It's like you know, I, I, I did not I did not think Pat was going to handle himself all too well in New York. I probably would have been vocal about that if I was in your market. But yeah, I feel you, man. For the most part, I do. I do try to stay. 
this is the thought process behind hiring this guy. I can see where it can work out, but you're right. There needs to be a balance between like, I really have a tough time envisioning how this is going to work out for this guy. And this is my reason why X, Y, and Z and Pat, you know, it doesn't take much to see the Pat's not the leader type, man. It's tough to, tough to see him getting guys to believe in him and he can't handle all of the external factors that come with being a head coach, not just staring at a play sheet calling plays, but there's more to it, man. There's, there's a whole hell of a lot more to it. He never could handle it in Cleveland and the same issues cropped up there in New York. I see, I have your uh, Twitter pulled up right now. The, um, the film breakdown stuff you do QB enthusiast. I think there's a lot of interesting quarterbacks in this division, uh, the AFC North, as we get into this breakdown and, Man, I, I guess I'll lead this off with the biggest addition. And I know, Jake, I might be uh, I might be cheating a little bit, but, man, I really think the biggest addition in the AFC North is Ben Roethlisberger coming back, right? Like, yeah. I know he's, yeah. he's been there, and, and we know about Ben, but, dude, I thought Tomlin was coach of the year last year for being able to get that team to 8-8, eight and eight, and at one point they had a, a legitimate playoff push you know week 15 week 16 and you just look at that roster and their defense was incredible I think their defense doesn't get enough credit that they deserve like everyone talks about San Francisco Baltimore in that division um yeah but I I think Pittsburgh has just elite 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 players at all levels of their defense and then the disaster that they were throwing out at quarterback every week it was just a dumpster fire and now you add Ben back, and I know his age, right? He's 38, 39 years old. He's been around. He's been beaten and bruised throughout his career, and he's coming off uh, an injury that if he was a baseball pitcher, people would be very, very concerned about. But I just think the thing that I look at when I look at quarterbacks is like the the alpha dog in them, right? When you step off – when you step – off the bus and you're about to walk into a stadium you just know that you have a chance because you have this guy taking snaps and just the the confidence that the team's gonna have out there the defense is gonna know that oh my god all right at least here comes another three and out I'm sure that's what they were thinking anytime they'd make a play right you, you force you force a team three and out they punt it to Pittsburgh and then before you know it it's third and nine third and 12 and then the defense got to come back out there again but now with Ben, it's like, yo, we got our guy back. We got the, the leader of the offense. We saw how bad it was without him. We won eight games without him. I personally think that Pittsburgh is a team that's not getting mentioned enough as a contender because of their defense. So for me, I think it's, I think it's Big Ben, dude, coming back. I think that's huge. Yeah, no, there is uh, the AFC North. This is a long tangent I could go into. It's all about consistency, and it has been – for so many years for this division. Uh, they've had – Pittsburgh's had two coaches in the last, like, 40 years. They've had fewer head coaches than the Pope, right, than Pope changes. Um, you know, Baltimore's had Brian Billick just to, 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 to Harbaugh. I mean, they, they don't change coaches. They're a model of consistency. Cincinnati, even though they've gone through some recent turmoil, they gave Marvin Lewis – a dec- you know, a decade and a half, and they yeah. were consistent with him. You know, maybe they didn't win a playoff game, but they got there three or four times and won this division. And, you know, in all of those other three teams, Carson Palmer had a long run. Andy Dalton has a long run. Joe Flacco has a long run, uh, all the way to obviously Ben Roethlisberger. And it's just been those three teams, and I know the Bengals, like I said, have struggled of late, but they're on the right path, and we'll talk about, I think, 
you know, you could make a case for Joe Burrow being the biggest addition to the division two, but um, those three teams are just all about longstanding consistency, something Cleveland has been at the, just the antithesis of in the division for the last 20 years. The other teams have figured it out and Cleveland has not figured it out. So, you know, I'm with you. I think if Ben comes back and has a really good season, um, Pittsburgh, even even an average season, Pittsburgh's defense is so good, man. They're they're fifty plus sack defense every year. They have a unique three four that they interchange pieces. Cam Hayward's a dog up front. Bud Dupree uh, figured out some things last year. Gets franchise tag. T.J. Watt's set to make you know Miles Garrett money over the next two years. He's a fantastic rush edge player. Uh, obviously, Devin Bush, the linebacker core that they're building around him. They went and got Minka Fitzpatrick. Their corners with Joe Hayden. Mike Hilton, those guys who are just solid football players. Pittsburgh is very freaking good. And you're right, they don't get talked about enough. I don't know if it's because they're boring and people just don't really, you know, it's not nothing pops off the screen, that type of stuff. They have really good receiver core. Juju Smith-Schuster should be set for a bounce back a year with better quarterback play. James Washington's come on. Deontay Johnson's a fantasy football you know, everybody loves him. I, I think he's got a little way to go, but he's he flashed really well for a mid-round pick out of Toledo. Among many other names, James Conner should be back and be healthy. They're very dangerous. Like, people don't talk about Pittsburgh enough. Cincinnati should be very improved. Obviously, the other one, I, I give it. I, I give you Ben Roethlisberger probably the biggest addition. Um, you know, you would look at Joe Burrow as a fantastic college quarterback, has an unbelievable season at LSU, just in, in, it breaks – about every NCAA single season record he could. And he's an Athens, Ohio kid. So we're very familiar with him. I watched him play in high school, watched him play in college at Ohio state for a while. It's phenomenal. You talk about an alpha dog type guys really rally around that dude. So Cincinnati will be better. Obviously really good wide receiver play Tyler Boyd. AJ green should be back healthy. They improved a little bit up front. They'll struggle a little bit defensively, but if Joe comes along and plays well, they'll be much improved from where they were last year. And then obviously Baltimore is the cream of the crop. They added Calais Campbell, which is just a ridiculous ad for them. J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, they drafted. Um, they, they took Patrick Queen, so they'll be a, they, they needed linebacker help. So he should, over, over the course of the next year or two, be fine. Um, so listen, man, it's a loaded division. I think you have four teams that think in the next two years we're going to be two, three years. Some are ready now. Some are like two, three years type. Cleveland, I think, is looking at more 2021 to be like a premier roster. But, like, it's it's from top to bottom, if Joe Burrow is what we think Joe Burrow is, this is every bit as good a division as there is in the NFL just in terms of sheer talent. So, you know, while we're optimistic about Cleveland and we feel really good about it, we think they have enough talent to compete and win the division – you know, Baltimore and Lamar and what they were able to do offensively with that unique game plan around what he is as a a one-of-one one player type, man. It's, uh, it's, it's deadly, and it's so, so challenging to stop. And then, obviously, their defensively is – Don Martindale's just going to always have that group ready to play and be really good and fast and physical. And, and uh, yeah, they're just tough. I, I, I don't look forward, to be honest with you, man – uh, and Zach Taylor in Cincinnati took the head coaching job there. He's going he's gonna to get them figured out for the most part. But I don't look forward to any division games because none of them none of them are easy. So, you know, me personally, I'm hoping Ben's slow out of the gate. I'm hoping that elbow is not right because otherwise it's, uh, it's going to be a real dogfight for Cleveland to win some of those division games. As I think about it now, dude, you bring up such a good point about how – divisions have been pretty dominant and consistent right like mm -hmm. the those early Andy Dalton years they're a wild card team pretty much every year uh 
Flacco and the Ravens, pretty much a wild card team, or win the division. Pittsburgh is in the mix as well. And everyone has been beating up on Cleveland. But that division is like that, you know, the, the 2010s, that decade, it's how many times were you coming into the season? You're like, all right, the North is going to have two teams in the playoffs. All right, where, oh, where mean, are the other wild yeah. card teams coming from? Yeah, we, we've pretty much cons- – I mean, it's been Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore over the last 20 years. They have found ways. Baltimore's taken a couple Super Bowls. Pittsburgh's taken a couple Super Bowls. Cincinnati, like you mentioned, really figured it out. Carson Palmer run, they had a nice run. Then Andy Dalton had a nice run. Didn't like I said, didn't win any playoff games, but those were good teams that won divisions. So it's yeah. like it's real, man. And, and Cleveland's consistent. You talk about the divisions consistent. Well, Cleveland's the opposite of the the. Uh, they're consistently bad. They've just been that way. So hopefully they can level out the playing field a little bit here. But yeah, it's it's a it's a division that is always very good. Even when the teams like Pittsburgh and Baltimore have run into some tough stretches, they're still. They're, those games are challenging games for opponents, man. Those two teams don't pick in the top ten very often at all. You mentioned the, a bunch of names in in addition. Which one would you say is the biggest one for you? Addition-wise, I mean, it's definitely Ben because he changes them. Right. Um, I think he definitely changes everything about their offense and what they want to be. And they brought in a guy named Matt Canada, too, was the offensive coordinator at uh, – um, Maryland, who did some really deceptive things with motion and things like that. So he'll make a nice pairing. Yeah, it's Ben, and then the runner-up for me would be Andy – or, sorry, uh, Joe Burrow. I see that you have QB enthusiast in your Twitter bio and with so, some of the graphics that I see and just, like, kind of being a creep right now on your Twitter page. Hit that follow while we're at it before I forget. How do you feel about Joe Burrow, man? Because from what you said, you're you're high on him, like – I believe everyone is, but I seem to be in the minority. I am very hesitant on Joe Burrow. I I'm always pumping the brakes on guys that have those explosion years in college, just kind of out of nowhere. Like no one, no one coming into this past season saw that out of Joe Burrow. And the reason why I know that is his Heisman odds were a hundred to one, right? Like no one (laughs) saw this coming. And then he puts this, historic all-time iconic season with LSU they win the national championship the one thing that I'm always concerned with Jake is these guys that come from these big programs they play with so much talent around them so how much of it was it Joe Burrow how much of it was you know Justin Jefferson first round uh the running back that went to uh Kansas City first round they got Chase is still there coming back for another year. He's going to be a first-round pick. So it's like how many, how much of it was his success and how much of it was, yo, he got five-star recruits everywhere you look on the field. Yeah, the, the, the balance there is what the challenge is, right? You, you mentioned he played with as hyper-talented a skill group as we've probably ever seen um, at the college level. It's up there. I mean, there, you could, I'm not going to make a bunch of comparisons, but it's up there. Uh, very good. Jamar Chase will be the top 10 pick. He'll be the first wide receiver taken in 2021, obviously. Um, you know, Jefferson and Clyde Edwards and all of them do. They're very good. The thing that he did really well with and what I like about him is he was – he, he is not afraid to push the ball vertically downfield, meaning some quarterbacks have a tendency to shy away from saying, yep. um, I want to take this aggressive throw that I know my guy can get. I'm going to put it in a spot where I think my guy can get it. And he was a, he was a fiend on those, man. Like he really feasted on DBs with backs turned, his guys going to get it. 
but he's putting it in the spot, man. Like you got to put it in that spot, and he did really well. Now, offensive line wise, I don't think that they were very good at LSU. They were okay. Um, Joe, I think the thing that Joe Brady did a nice job of the offense coordinator there has gone on to, to Carolina this year. Young guy, my age, thirty one. Um, he is a is a rising star in the coaching ranks. Is he really understood how to get Joe or sorry to get um, Burrow how to make quick, consistently quick decisions? Identify things pre-snap, unfold the defense pre-snap, make quick decisions. I think they did a fantastic job of that. And I think Zach Taylor would do a good job of it too. So, look, there's a balance, man. I think he did a lot of things well, and he really helped out his offensive line. Sneaky good runner, like a, like a really sneaky good runner. Uh, kind of Aaron Rodgers, like even a little faster than Aaron Rodgers in terms of ability to take off and create something if he needs to and really use that to his advantage at LSU. He really helped out his offensive line. Like, I think he's going to be really good. Do I need to see – we got one-year sample size of that whole thing. Um, so it happened, you know, pretty quick in terms of his elite play. It's tough. He was tough. He was a late transfer to LSU. So it's like mm-hmm. the first year where there's a lot of learning going on and a lot of different things happening there and transitioning between coordinators for Ed Orgeron. So it's a mix. I just, I just think he's going to be good. He does enough innate things, helping out his offensive line, pocket maneuverability stuff that I really like. And I do like his aggressiveness and willing to trust some guys, man, they just don't trust their receivers. If I put a ball in a spot, will he go get it? He's eager to make those plays and give his wide receivers and tight ends and backs opportunities to do so. So what you loved about him was A-plus decision-making last year, very, very few mistakes. And I think that stuff typically translates. So while it might take a little while, I do – I do, you know, I think eight out of ten outcomes, if you run his career eight out of ten times, he'll be a very good to elite NFL quarterback, just a, just a good player. I feel you on that, and you're right. The one thing that I've watched that I really like about him is uh, I like to call it, like, grapefruit throws. Like, mm-hmm. he makes throws with, with, like, balls, you know? Like, he he's not afraid because, dude, I'm – like, I like – I have an irrational love for Jameis Winston, <clears throat> and one of the reasons why is because he's not afraid to make the throws. Like, there's so many guys that just check down, and it's like – I saw it for Eli Manning the last five years of his career was – it was – the entire offense was a slant to Odell. Hopefully he takes it 60. Or I'm checking it down to uh, a running back or tight end. And it's just annoying where i rather guys – you're going to throw interceptions? That's cool. I, I think interceptions is also like a misleading stat. And I don't really kill you for it if you throw picks. Now, there's two areas I don't want you throwing interceptions. In your 20 and in the red zone would be nice. But everything else you could justify as like a punt for the most part. And I like that Joe Burrow is not afraid to throw. He's like, I'm, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to sling it. I'm not going to do these check downs. And yeah, you bring up a good point. I agree with you on that. Yeah. He's a 50, 50 ball guy. who's aggressive. You want your quarterback. You don't want the Derek cars of the world, man, who while Derek will always put up some decent numbers for you. He's also not going to win you games because he's not going to give his teammates that, that ability to 50, 50 ball or take shots downfield defenses start to play tighter to the line of scrimmage and like yeah they're going to allow you to come to, to, to drop balls off underneath but eventually they're going to rally to the football that's what that's way defensive schemes are really uh, approaching it these days man we'll let you take what you can get underneath and we'll just rally to the football because we have enough speed so yeah I, I like Joe's nature man I like you know you got to have and I like it about Baker too you got to have an alpha dog mentality about this whole process and believe that you're one of one and and uh, Burroughs like that, man. So I'm really – it sucks because he's going to Cincinnati where he's a division rival, but uh, I'm a big supporter of that dude, and I think he's going to be – he's going to be pretty good for a long time. 
the biggest subtraction, in my opinion, for this division, we kind of touched on it in passing about how good that Pittsburgh defense was last year and how they really overachieved, overachieved as a franchise with the circumstances that they were dealt. I think Javon Hargrave leaving and going to Philly is massive, uh, especially for shit. The strength of their team was probably that defensive line. And he was just a, a big dude that would just take up blockers and open it up for uh, Bush to have the season that he had and Bud Dupree to have the season he had. And you allow Micah Fitzpatrick to do the chaos that he did in that secondary. And then, you know, TJ Watt just became, he became the better Watt brother last year. Like it's, I don't think it's a debate anymore. So I think this guy leaving, it's, it's a pretty underrated loss. And I know if, if it's a defensive lineman nowadays, if it's if he's not getting double digit sacks, people don't deem him as a, as important as a guy. Like if Tampa Bay was to lose uh, Shaquille Barrett, it would be a massive loss for them because people would look at the sack totals. But with this guy, I think it's huge. Javon Hargrave leaving, going to Philly, and now of course Saquon and the Giants got to deal with him twice a year, but. That that's where I'm leaning towards, man. What do you what do you got for a subtraction? And also, I mean, chime in. Let me know what you think about uh, Hargrave as a player, as someone who saw him more than I did. Yeah, the Hargrave Cam Hayward combo was ridiculous uh, for for a team that played um, a really weird front, a unique front, unlike anybody else. It's a three four by nature, but it's more of a slide front. And then they do some two down line kick stuff, and they bring they bring Dupree and, and Watt off the edge and two point stances and a freaking they're in a hurry up field and then they rely on those guys inside. They'll use Isaiah bugs and some other guys, but that's a big loss to me. Unfortunately, it's my Browns. I think they lost one of the best players in the division, which was linebacker Joe Schobert. He mm-hmm. goes to Jacksonville uh, and Cleveland really did not replace him. They, they brought in BJ Goodson. You're familiar with mm-hmm. um, a pretty disappointing football player throughout his career who I just have a hard time seeing him f- figure it out in Cleveland. It happens occasionally like the Browns led to Mario Davis go to the saints and, uh, you know, he started with the Jets because of the Browns, decent for the Browns because of the Saints, and now he's an all-pro linebacker. It's just rare. You just don't see that happen not very often, and BJ will probably be a one- or two-down linebacker for them. They drafted Jacob White, the kid out of LSU, in the third round late. He's the guy people didn't know much about playing next to Patrick Queen. Young guy, needs to, to figure some things out. Mac Wilson's another young guy that they played last year for Christian Kirksey, who got hurt. And uh, yeah, they're hurting, man. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to look like linebacker-wise. They'll probably play Mac Wilson. They'll probably play White a little bit. They'll play Goodson a little bit. They got another guy they drafted out of BYU, Sione Takitaki, uh, in the fourth round of 2018. I, but it's a bad group. It's one of the worst linebacker groups in the league. Um, and I, I know that it's obvious that this front office wants to build up the defensive line, have good defensive line play to elite defensive line play and really good secondary play and kind of just piece together and, and be cheap about their linebackers. So they let Joe walk. Joe's a hell of a player out of Wisconsin, transitioned from an edge rushing linebacker of Wisconsin to, to a Mike linebacker under Greg Williams and became a really effective linebacker at the second level. Now some holes in his game. Not necessarily a fantastic tackler, but a guy who was where you needed to be, a very cerebral leader. He'll do well in Jacksonville. So for me, unfortunately, that biggest loss is Schobert from the Browns' defense. Yeah, very underrated player for for Cleveland. Dude, sometimes, like, I I always say this about people that cover their team. If you could be honest about a team's assessment and not just have, like, goggles for how good they are, you can – you could – 
find so many gems. Like I don't I don't know how many people know about that dude. Right? Like he's yeah. he's a really good he's a guy that just stands out. He just always makes plays when you watch when you watch Cleveland games. And yeah, he he didn't get enough credit, man. He did a lot of he did a lot of different things that helped the defensively getting them aligned, relaying calls, all of that stuff is going to be thrust on a young player. Joe Woods comes over from his time in Denver. He was with San Francisco for the Super Bowl run last year um, as their as their secondary coach and you know, assistant defensive coordinator, whatever. He was a run game coordinator. It's all blurred together, my man. You change coaching staff so many times, but yeah, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough linebacker wise for Cleveland. So they got to figure something out. I'm just kind of keeping my fingers crossed on it. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'd be like to play without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And another ad read that we have with a personal, personal promo code this one will mean a lot to me guys if you guys go over there and check them out it's deal dash have you ever heard of deal dash.com it's the best most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe they have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics appliances beauty products home decor and even cars here's how it works it's like an auction but every item starts at zero dollars and only goes up one cent every time you bid the kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 10, sorry, an extra 100, what the, f- 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the promo code VM or deal-fm slash vm. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M, promo code VM, and tell them we sent you. Tell us what you think about the site, and most importantly, congrats and thank you. Man, for me, it gotta be, it gotta be your Browns. I really believe that. I think it gotta be, it gotta be Cleveland, and in particular, it got to be Baker. It's put up or shut up now. Um, I agree with you that Freddie Kitchens last year wasn't the guy. And, you know, he had his beef with Hugh Jackson. You know, if you just listen to Baker Mayfield press conferences, you knew exactly how he felt about Hugh Jackson. So we don't need to tell you much about that. But, man, if Stefanski, if them two could work together, you have your guy for the foreseeable future in Cleveland. And I know this is crazy because this time last year, everyone is riding high on Cleveland. They just get Odell also. I mean, the weapons that he has at his disposal. Dude, I can't. It's, it's for me, and 
call me biased. Tell me how you feel about this. I think it's Cleveland and the Giants. As far as skill position players, I don't think there's a better collection of of talent than those two teams. Like excluding the offensive line and the quarterbacks, if you were to just draft teams and say, I'm gonna just take only their skill position players, you're deep at wide receiver. You have two tight ends now that Njoku said that, you know, like, all right, let's rock and roll. Let's get the ball going. And you have Nick Chubb, who I was praying in the New York Giants. I was, dude, that 2018 draft, I wanted the Giants to take a quarterback at number two for as much as I love Barkley, and he's fantastic. And I wanted them to get Nick Chubb in, like, the second round. That was, like, my fantasy booking of that draft, Jake, was that. That's exactly (laughs) what I wanted. So uh, Nick Chubb is fantastic. And I just think that they have so many weapons. And Wills Jr. that they bring in, I think he fits exactly what Cleveland wants to do with Baker. Like, Baker's a guy that likes to throw on the run, you know, and, like, move the pocket. Some of the stuff he was doing at Oklahoma, that was very successful for him. And the biggest question mark for me coming into the Browns last year was their offensive line is going to suck. Sure, they get Odell, but like you said, they lose Zietler. And people just – I don't know. Do you you feel like – your football coverage has changed because of the boom of fantasy football. Like, do people not understand the real value of like an offensive guard? Cause everyone was just like, Oh my God, Odell, Odell. Yes. Yes. 1600 yards. It's like, yo, that's a big ass loss in the heart of that offensive line. Yeah. There's, there's an element to looking at, and and this is probably piggybacked on pro football focus who just thinks every quarterback can overcome an offensive line all the time. And, and uh, we're just hasty to replace quarterbacks. And it's like, to process, man. These guys, the development of quarterbacks isn't linear. It's not It's not get better one year, keep getting better, keep getting better, keep getting better. Sometimes it works out that way. You sometimes see that, the Mahomes of the world, but like sometimes guys go up and down. Some of the best to ever do this things, this thing, you know, we're up and down guys. If you check like Peyton Manning's fourth year, if you check Ben Roethlisberger's third year, if you check some of these guys' years, man, especially Drew Brees' early career, you'd be like, these guys are getting punted on if people weren't patient with them. So I'm a little more, even with Baker's season, it's been a little, it's been a heavy narrative in Brown's fan base of it's make or break for Baker this year. To me, it doesn't have to be. He just has to be, he just has to be fine. He has to show better decision-making. And, you know, maybe he doesn't quite put up elite seasons yet, but this is a long game, man. You could play a quarterback for 13 years if you give him time. If Baker's a detriment to the offense, that's a different conversation. But if he's just kind of average to above average and you still are winning football games, then that's okay. You know, like you can, you can win with those things and it doesn't have to be one extreme to the other. So I'm patient on these guys probably more than, than many people are. And I understand why some people aren't because of the, the uh, quarterback money and how much you have to pay these guys so quickly after their first deal. But anyway, back to your kind of question at hand, I think the Browns do definitely contain the biggest storyline in the division Things were worse with Freddie than you could even imagine. Players have leaked out things about game plans and issues and offensive coordinators talking to opposing defenses about how they just really – they had no clue what they were doing game plan. It's, it was bad. It was bad across the board. I think with Stefanski, you obviously have a guy who's proven uh, to do multiple different levels of what it needs to be a successful head coach. Hopefully he's the leader of men that we all think he can be. His, his staff is really surrounded – by guys that are supportive of him, and he, he's got them to buy in. Very sharp guy. I think that's important. I think you you do have to have a level of, of high high intelligence to handle a position such as head coach. You have to be able to handle multiple things being thrown at you once. I just think he's 
he's the right dude for it. And I think the scheme is what they loved. They obviously, they, they really enjoy the wide zone system and especially the deception that comes with it. If you watch the Vikings, it looked eerily similar to San Francisco, those teams who run it uh, exclusively and run it well. They're a heavy run team. I don't know if he'll be that way away from Mike Zimmer. Uh, who was the, the head coach of the Vikings, who was a little bit defense-heavy, squat on the ball type of thing. We'll see how that shakes out. But, yeah, I mean, the Browns added Austin Hooper. They got David Njoku as far as two good tight ends. They got Nick Chubb, who's an elite, elite running back in the league, um, undervalued still somehow, elite mm-hmm. running back. But then you have Kareem Hunt, who before his, you know, you can have a personal opinion of Kareem Hunt, and that's not for here probably, but it's like the football player is ridiculously talented, and they get him – in a system ready to go for 16 games. That guy's a top 10 running back in the league when he's playing. He might have made a case that that dude was the best running back going before his, uh, you know, personal life situation fell apart. So they got him back on track. Two good wide receivers, one elite guy, Jarvis, who's just maximized every ounce of God-given ability he has and is a great part of this team. And they got Rashard Higgins back, their third receiver that they really like. They drafted Donovan Peoples-Jones, who they like too. I mean, it's just like – from a skill point, they're very good. But, yeah, offensive line-wise, we like it, man, because they, they added Jack Conklin, who's a fantastic wide zone blocking tackle as a right tackle out yep. of, out of um, Tennessee, who they signed. They drafted Jedrick Wills, who I was a big Andrew Thomas fan. Man. I'm, glad, I'm glad he landed with y'all. But um, I, I do like Jed. I, I mean, Andrew Thomas was tackle one for me. That was the guy I wanted above anybody else. But Jed – uh, as far as a right tackle transitioning to left, it's going to be really interesting because he's only played right tackle at Alabama in his career. So he moves to left tackle full-time now. They've, they're just going to be better. They had Chris Hubbard and they had Greg Robinson. There's just no way they could be worse at tackle than they right. were. And then you have Wyatt Teller, who's going to be the right guard who they traded for from Buffalo last year, who's really fit for this type of scheme. And then obviously J.C. Treader's a fantastic center, underrated, very criminally underrated center, very good player. And then Joel Batonio's a Pro Bowl guy. So they're better – much better up front. Um, and, yeah, the skill guys get in a system that is kind of custom built for them. That's why people are like, if it's not going to work out for the Browns this year, um, you know, if this year gets sideways in 2021, then, then it's never going to because it's just like this is the perfect setup from the head coach to the front office to the offensive structure. And if the defense can just be average, they'll be okay. So the Browns are definitely the biggest storyline in the division for me, seeing how they rebound from such high expectations last year. Hmm. You know, I kind of think Cleveland's flying under the radar. I just, last year, they were, the one thing that really, I was so, I mean, every podcast I was doing in the offseason, I was like, don't buy the hype. Don't buy the hype. Don't buy. Then they get Odell. Don't buy the hype. I'm telling you, everybody. Dude, they had the fourth best odds to win the AFC last year. It's like, hold on, man. This is a team to make that kind of a leap. It's very rare that you see that. The only other team that I can remember that made a leap from being, you know, the number one pick to being a playoff team was that Andrew Luck rookie season. But that was them he really inherited a team that was a really good team. It was just so quarterback dependent in Indianapolis where the year after Peyton has the next surgeries, they go what two and 14, three and three and 13, whatever it was, they get the number one pick and then luck comes in. It's like, all right, they're 11 and five. So it's like, that was the main issue. Now with Cleveland to make that kind of a leap and you know, they win, they win sell, 
was it six or seven games they won the rookie year of Baker? And it's like they they did like four times the winning of the last two seasons prior. So I I I understood the hype. I was just like pumping the brakes on it. But I'm with you, man. I I, I kind of like what Cleveland has done. And their offense, if Stefanski could if they can mesh together, it, they can make some noise. They can make some noise. Yeah, man, we're optimistic about it. Everything fits there. Um, it's just a matter of seeing it all come to fruition. In Cleveland, we've had a lot of situations where we feel like it's going to come to fruition, and it doesn't. So I'm in the, I'm in the, I need to see it to believe it. But uh, as far as looking at everything on paper and how, does it all make sense, yeah, it's all right there to be taken. All right, as we wind down, biggest X factor in the division. And I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm going with Lamar Jackson again. And the reason why is people are still super disrespectful towards him. I think everyone is, and I don't know if that happens because he's, he's been so great. You have to nitpick at the, at his flaws, which is, you know, he hasn't won a playoff game yet. And then you mentioned Peyton Manning before. It's like, well, Peyton Manning was 0-3 in his first three starts in the playoffs, right? Like it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to win in the playoffs. It's one game. Shit, the ball doesn't bounce your way. Uh, the Ravens won a Super Bowl because the ball bounced their way, right? The safeties collided on that fourth down play to, to, to Jones and Denver. And it's like things don't always go your way in these one-game playoffs. Look, I'll be honest with you, man. I saw the Giants win two Super Bowls, and they weren't the best team in the league that year in either of those two Super Bowls that they won in 07 and 2011. Lamar Jackson comes off that monster year that he had. And is this sustainable, right? Like the whole running stuff, are they going to be running him more? Are they going to try to, you know, protect him a little bit more? He has said that he wants to just ball and play the way he plays. Shit, he's won an MVP and he was the talk of the town last year and their team has sort of become relevant again with adding him, right? They kind of uh, – tell me now, how do you feel about Baltimore, those, those tail ends of Joe Flacco? You were kind of like, all right, it's Baltimore just because of their pedigree, but were you really intimidated by them when Flacco was coming into the building? No, you certainly thought the Browns could beat them, and they did that first game of 2018. They beat them at home before they went to, to Baltimore Week 17 with playoffs on the line for Baltimore right. when Lamar had taken over. Um, no, you didn't fear them offensively. You just, you just didn't. You knew there was a way to stop them. You knew that it was going to be low scoring because their defense is just always, always good. It's just like ingrained in the franchise staple, man. Like they're just, they're just always good. So you knew that was going to be a challenge, which you knew you could beat them. Now you can still beat this team. You know, Cleveland goes into Baltimore and wins in 2019 week two, but it's like, uh, it's a challenge, man. It's, it's, uh, to me, I'm going to answer the same guy twice. To me, it's probably Ben again, mm. because if Ben is right, that is the biggest X factor. If he's not, that team probably falls off and becomes a fringe playoff team, if, if, same as they were last year. But to me, it's like I know Lamar's going to get his. You know, the way that Greg Roman has that offense run, it is such a bitch to defend, and it takes so much gap discipline and player discipline. And Lamar is such a unique and gifted acceleration runner stop start make you shimmy admit like he never takes a direct hit that guy is the weirdest human with like playing quarterback I've ever seen and that's a compliment like he's genuinely yeah. one of one in terms of he can still flick it 
He can throw it when he needs to. Maybe not as consistently as he wants to, but he can throw it well enough that you can't bail on him. Like you, you, you could count on Mike Vick being inaccurate on the mid-level stuff. You can't do that. You can't, you can't do that, man. Like he's, he's got placement to all three levels that you have to respect on top of being, I don't know. He's one of the best runners in the entire NFL, regardless of position. So it's like the dude's, the dude is going to get his, like he might not have NFL MVP numbers again, but he's going to get his, he's going to be fine. He's going to be able to run because that scheme is, it's, it's like college triple option offenses, man. And it's the pro version of that. They, they're, they're just going to get theirs. It's how do you keep it within check as best you can? Can you make him the formula for beating Baltimore is you got to get out on them early. Yep. You got to get out on them early. You got to get out in front of them quick and make them become one dimensional. Because if you are sitting there trying to play gap discipline football, when you're, you're, you know, if you're on pull read or if you're on, uh, you know, you're crashing to take away B gap to take away the running back on the dive read stuff like they're going to sneak somebody behind you. And they've, they've added weapons and wide receiver Hollywood Brown looks like he's fully healthy heading into this year. Like they're just, they're really good, man. They're really tough to beat. But uh, it, to me, it's Pittsburgh. If, if, if Ben Roethlisberger is 100% the version he was, you know, before his last, his, before his injury, that takes them from being a really good team to potentially Super Bowl level team. So it's, it's a lot riding on Ben's right elbow. One of my good buddies is a big Ravens fan. And uh, we'll get into discussions. We'll be like, yo, how do you stop Lamar Jackson? He's like, honestly, how do you stop? I was like, go up 10. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you have, and that's not to not like he still threw for 350 and some change and against Tennessee when they went up. But the Cleveland did the same thing. Cleveland got up on him early um, in Baltimore earlier in the season. I think it might have even been week three. They got up on him early. And then all of a sudden, you're making, you're taking away. It's not to say he can't throw. Like the dude right. can still it, throw. It, it takes away what makes him special, though. The run pass conflict is what yeah. makes him special. You're fearing him running. If you can make them have to throw in second down and long, third down and long, it alleviates the stress you have. You still have to worry about him getting out of the pocket and doing all that, but you, you, you at least know that you don't have to worry about read option stuff, which is such, such a challenge to defend. And they do it so well, they're coached on it so well. Um, if they don't win a Super Bowl in the next five years, I'll be pretty damn surprised. I think they're that good. So, division's tough, man. It's really loaded from top to bottom moving forward. Who would you say, just an overarching uh, question about the NFL as we as we sign off here, Jake. And once again, man, I appreciate the time. Actually, let me ask you this. Scratch what I just said. I do appreciate your time, but scratch what I just said. <laughs> Uh, are we having football this year or what? I think they're going to push through unless something becomes disastrous in terms of like 25 guys on a team become infected. And it just, unless there is a serious outbreak, I think they're going to push through the money means too much to not only the owners and the TV money, but the players, they want to get paid. Um, unless, like I said, unless in baseball has somehow wiggled through their situation they're in, Unless, like I said, it becomes a situation where you have multiple teams going through major, major outbreaks, we're going to have football. It's going to be weird. I don't know who, if, if the teams that we expect to be as good are going to be as good. Not having crowds in the stands, will act, it will definitely impact people and how hyped they get and how they feed off of the, the vibe of the crowd and performing. That stuff will have an impact more than you think it will. But um, I, do, I do think, despite everybody saying we're not going to have football, we're not going to have football, I actually think they're going to stick it out and go through it. And that's not me saying I agree with it one side or the other. That's just kind of where I think it's headed. 
Dude, yes, yes, a thousand times yes, what you said about the home field. I feel like not enough people are talking about it because there are a lot of teams, two teams in that division that we just discussed right now, the AFC North, that I think benefit a lot from playing at home, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. You look just over the last 10 years, they have two of the better home field advantages. You look at teams like New Orleans, teams that play in a dome, teams like it, it might actually benefit the Chargers because no one goes to their games anyway, so it's not that much of a transition. <laughs> but Mile High is a tough place. Arrowhead, you look at all these places where I think that's something that you're going to see a lot of wacky win totals from the uh, betting perspective. I think a lot of numbers are off because I think you could chalk up two, two games a year at least at home. New Orleans wins that they have no business winning because they're at home, though. It's the crowd gets a little crazier on this third and four, and then it's a full start. It's, it's something so small like that. And football is the ultimate game of one play can decide a legacy, not just a game. So I love what you said there about the, the home field and – especially when you look at these these two teams in Pittsburgh and Baltimore in particular, I think it's very, very significant. And, man, I'm a little – to answer the question, if we're going to have football, honestly, and I know it's a cop-out, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really – I'm really – I'm not optimistic. I just think it's too many players to have to patrol and to monitor – it works with the bubble in the NBA because you don't have all the teams, right? You only invited 22 teams, and it's a smaller roster size. Are you looking at a football sideline? What is it, close to 100 people on that sideline? Oh, yeah, man. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping because I don't even want to think about a winter with no football. It's, it's Listen, it boils down to if they can control outbreaks. I think they're going to try. They're going to really try uh, their best. But if, if it's, it's, it's whether you think an outbreak is going to happen or not. I don't know. I, it could, it couldn't. If an outbreak does happen and things get bad, I don't think they can push through it. They'll eventually have to say, we can't, we can't go on like this. But if teams lose only three or four players a year, and even, even if it runs into the five or sixes, They'll find a way to push through. I think I think there's more riding on football season than we all understand. I think that oh, yeah. there's forces above the NFL who are still trying to make that happen. And uh, I think that there's no limit to the amount of money and the amount of resources that are being dumped to NFL teams in terms of testing and all this stuff. So uh, I, I still look. I know. I know you could. We could predict an outbreak will happen on the team or two. But like 75, 25, I'm I'm pretty convinced they're going to push through this thing and and, uh, and try to find a way. Yeah, even the some of the higher ups that you mentioned, the the networks. I think eighteen of the twenty highest rated programs in twenty nineteen were NFL games. <laughs> so, and one of them was like the draft too. So it gets a lot of coverage, man. It gets a lot of coverage. Jake, you're the man. I appreciate you so much, as always. Uh the floor is yours. Tell the people where they can find you, some of the dope shit that you're doing. Anything you want to plug, feel free. Yeah, not, not a ton to plug. I, I do some stuff on the Blue Wire Network that we have here. Uh, I do my OBR film breakdown, which is more long-form film content analysis stuff. I do the uh, OBR Daily podcast, the Orange and Brown Report. That's up daily that we do here on Blue Wire. Uh, the Orange and Brown Report is our website that is a 247 CBS sports venture. You can find that if you're interested in Brown's content. I write film rooms there and pretty much a whole bunch of different stuff. I cover the team there as best I can. 
Um, so, yeah, and then I'm on Twitter, that Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, if you're interested in any Browns content or football talk. For your grill, Nikki too ill, can't let it drop in me spill. Clogging the lane, I'm feeling the strain, I'm here for the spot to be filled. Not to be cocky, but all of you watching while I'm in the cup paying property bills.